Deaf WWE angle has sparked controversy, and it seems to be putting it lightly. Hello and welcome to the LOP Radio Raw Review. My name is Matt Mayer, aka Imp, and we are here live on YouTube and will also be in podcast form later. Links in the description or head over to WrestlingHeadlines.net. Uh, and yes, a uh, boy or boys, a topic to talk about today. So I, I would really wish that I wouldn't have to go through the topic again, but two things popped up today. One was what happened on Monday Night Raw with the Rey Mysterio family, which you can tell by the image, as you can tell what I've got next to me on the YouTube video. It's the image of the King's Court as they then look up to the screen to see a DM between uh, Aaliyah Mysterio, Rey Mysterio's daughter, and Buddy Murphy, or just Murphy as he is now. That's not the important bit. Point being, this King's Court has gone down pretty controversially, and I thought... Uh, I'd kind of go through it. Uh, it's, it's one of the things where I'm uh, just before I go live, I go to take a sigh of a breath, and I'm just like, right, here we go again. Out of my depth, talking a difficult topic, but I'll do the best I can. And it's, it sucks I have to talk about this stuff. Like, no, I'm not going to push it aside and pretend it doesn't exist, that it's not a factor, because it is. It really is a factor. And trying to make people's points lose their kind of weight by pretending it's not an issue. Or, or, breaking, or breaking down the argument as non-existent. That's not going to help anything. So it makes sense just to talk and listen. <laughs> the two different sides to it. That's the guess, big lesson I've learned as the person I am. Is to shut up and listen. And take all the information on board. Yeah. Uh, my, my kind of recommendation was once you've got all the information. And you've genuinely listened. And you've not talked over them as they're, whatever person saying is, is saying what they're saying. And you've genuinely taken it all in then you can make your personal choice on something. Doesn't mean I'm gonna respect your opinion, <laughs> but you can have your opinion. The fact you can have an opinion can be respected. That doesn't mean that we would then sit at a bar and drink a beer as old chums if the side you fall on It does make me go, because that's just, that's kind of being honest as well. But I'm British, I'll hide that in to the best of my ability. <laughs> that's, that's a trope we've got where if we're uncomfortable, we're very, very good at just pretending that pain doesn't exist. <laughs> so, just going along with it. Um, that's a tangent. So, on, in this instance, we are going right back to speaking out. And the uh, alle multiple allegations of sexual assault. And it's of all days for Mr. Joe Ryan to pop up. I almost didn't want to say his name. Uh, to, so I could, like, Velveteen Dream him and just call him Uh. But I feel like I kind of have to. So, with Joe Ryan, he... He, put, he, he is suing the women who have claimed sexual assault against him. And it's not just one, it's not just two, it's quite a lot <laughs> have claimed uh, allegations against him. And he is suing for uh, damages upon his career and social media is kind of in there as well. well. That's what people are laughing at, but I kind of look at it as... The bigger thing is he's claiming that he is losing, he's lost, he's losing revenue because of the words that they've said, because of their actions, and he's taking it to court. And when these people came out, there was the quite, one of the arguments against them was, well, why are they coming out now? 
Why didn't they come out at the time? Why aren't they? Why aren't? Why didn't they come out? Why not? You're seeing exactly why. When they do, the yes, there's the amount of debate. Yes, they're dragging their name and their person through the public eye mud as well, which is not as easy as it sounds. The mental strength you need to be able to do that is incredible. But also, something like this happens where Dre Ryan tries to sue them millions. It's obviously BS. It's obviously a load of crap. But he he's doing it anyway. He's claiming damages. Be it where, uh, be where, whatever reason he's doing it, you can make stuff. You can make stuff up, and there are people out there making reasons like, well, "Why would he do such a thing? Is he not in a great mental state?" So it, it doesn't matter. He's doing it, and these women are affected by it, and this is the exact reason they do not come out. And you're seeing it right in front of you. And of all days, the reason the reason I bring that up is it was like the bullet point, not the bullet point. It was the full stop on the debate that was happening. Because when I logged on this morning, because I watched it a bit later, every the, the one topic that was still being talked about, even though the G1 Climax was on, and I was on I was on Twitter to talk about the G1 Climax. I was having a decent time watching that. My match of the tournament, Evil versus Toriano. <laughs> so I was there to talk about a comedy match that I was generally enjoying, but everybody on Twitter was still talking about the, Ramis, the Aaliyah and Buddy Murphy angle and whether it was inappropriate or not, whether it's egregiously bad timing or not. If you've seen my Twitter, you know which side I fall on after watching it. But the fact that that was the thing being talked about, and it wasn't until Joe Ryan brought his suit where that's kind of like the bullet point to the points people were making in terms of the inappropriateness, because somebody who is directly responsible for a lot of the speaking out posts, because it comes out, he's a bit of a... I was going to say monster, but that's that's painting it simple. Because that makes him seem like a like a 2D villain, which he isn't. It's not a 2D villain. He... Oh, I, won't, I won't go into more complicated stuff. The point being that the big topic that was being talked about was a teenage girl in Aaliyah, and they made point to say numerous times on the show that she's 19 and she even said she's 19 on it as well and it's kind of like that's in the script for a reason and it felt like that reason was she may be young but it's all right guys because she's over 18 doesn't stop it being incredibly incredibly creepy doesn't suddenly make me forget all of the speaking out stories that came out this summer it doesn't suddenly i don't forget them in this crazy world and yes, I know I'm starting this off on quite a ranty, negative kind of way, but this topic is very serious. And the the reason I've given this show the title that I have, where WWE have gone with such a tone-deaf angle, that so yes, angles like this have done in the past. They weren't past a mass sexual allegations movement. Yes, they've done things like with Stephanie McMahon in the past as well. It's like that was in a different era, in a different time where different things were acceptable, that was 20, 30 years ago. And on top of that, that wasn't after a mass sexual allegations movement in the industry. And I say after, it's just been months. It's just a few months. It's still fresh. In, it's, the wound is still fresh. It's, t- it's still bleeding. And that's when they do this angle. It's not, oh, they've done it in the past, therefore it's great. Therefore it's fine. It's just, it's just like, well, we didn't know... 
about this, what's coming out of the speaking out movement, just highlighting it for decades, and more and more people coming out. Like, yes, he could. This was in an era where you'd make different kinds of jokes. A bit. I was a kid in that era, so it's, I obviously didn't experience it firsthand. But I can look at the media. I can see what's out there. The kind of jokes were, yeah, they were. They were a bit more. I call them non PG, and you could. You could the the ex- not set not acceptable but I guess more popular humor that was a bit more kind of like causing offense in a way was part of the humor and that's shifted massively over these past twenty years twenty twenty five years just to again just want to say that's been a quarter of a century since almost it's been twenty three years since the attitude era began and it's been close to twenty since it ended I think we're three we're three years off if you count it as two thousand and three. I'm, I'm kind of tangenting off a bit into just random details. I'll, I'll swing back in. For WWE to do this, it's like this angle comes across as egregiously tone deaf in the wake of the speaking out movement that's rocked professional wrestling. Like, yes, they've done angles like this in the past, in a different time, a past era, but now, especially in the aftermath of, a ma- of, of women en masse coming out about sexual assault and inappropriate behaviour in the industry. And now is the time you decide to run an angle in which a 32-year-old man instigates a relationship with a 19-year-old girl. Which was the start of so many of the speaking out stories. And it's just mind-boggling in a way for people who are in the industry, who are writing this. And yes, it's WWE and they're in their own weird bubble at times. But this is, this is for me, this is a weird one. This one... Because sometimes I, I'm not always with the, I won't say the cancelling, but because so, um, again that paints it as simple from like the other side, but for the, uh, I guess when there is an outrage against something, I'm I'm a boring person, I'll step back and I'll look at it, and, but I do, I'll say politically I do fall left of centre, because, again, when I look at politics, there isn't really anyone that represents me. It's either far left, far right, and I'm neither of those. I'm somewhere in the middle, in the lost ground. And there's a reason I've, over here in the UK, I've voted for four different parties in four different elections. I'm the definition of a swing state. I have no loyalty to any... I'm that brand loyalty to me is nonsense. I, I cannot wrap my head around it. Um, tangenting again, because it's a difficult issue. To bring it back in, this... It's egregiously timed. I know I was going off to a different point before my tangent, but I can't remember where I was going with it because it's not in my bloody notes. But this is such a mind-boggling thing that they're doing after it was such a mass movement as well. And it comes, I guess, because BBC, because I was watching G1 Climax when I saw the article where BBC have posted an article on speaking out. And it, I, I happened to see it when Will Ospreay was wrestling and he's highly linked to it as well. So this is a, it's something that's brought up as a topic because Will Ospreay's come back, because Velveteen Dream's come back. Like, as it, as somebody comes back, then a few weeks later, you're back with somebody else. So it was Velveteen Dream came back with absolutely no word and we're meant to be hyped to see him return. Austin Theory came back with no word. Or Will Ospreay's come back, but he, he was blackboarding from the industry rather than being someone criticised of a sort. Because I just want to make that ex- extremely clear. That, that he has not been alleged to have done anything apart from the blackboarding a rape victim from the industry. And him, him after she came out, him in his apology was saying he didn't do anything further. Then an arena, which had, was booked to host a show, came out and said, was saying, actually, no, 
we the reason that you Pollyanna were not booked for this show was because we got a call from Will Osprey saying that if we booked you it would be like a serious harm and he wouldn't want to work the show. So like he blackballed her from that show and from the industry as well. And the reason that was happening was the person that had raped her had was his friend. So and that was it was a story that happened a few years ago. And I knew about but I only knew about it from what we didn't know was what the arena said. For me that was the new information. So it was it was a difficult thing to work past initially. You know, when the when I first heard the news, I was just fi- discovering Will Osprey, and there was the and it was kind of it was, for me it was quick fire information of this thing had happened. He defended his friend, then he, then he realised he hadn't shouldn't have uh, defended his friend. That was all I knew, and it kind of built from there. And yes, they were they were never gonna like make up and be chums, but. Um, then to find out how so many years later, it was so much more than that. And he, he had such an active part in this rape victim's blackboarding from the industry. Uh, it is not easy to watch him right now. And he's in, he, yes, he's putting on amazing, fantastic matches. But when, uh, when the thing is so serious and he, he gets, well, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say, and he gets pushed regardless. But this happened before with Japan, where the whole Michael, Michael Elgin thing, and that didn't seem to bother. I'm going off on another tangent. I'm actually bringing it back to the UK and the speaking out thing. But so with, for them to do this angle, and the argument I'm seeing so often online is, she's legal, so it's fine. I.e., but it's not creepy, right? It's, it's, it's perfectly fine just because it's technically legal. It doesn't matter if it's a bit creepy. It doesn't matter if he's meant to be the baby face. Because that's the other thing as well. Sometimes I criticise the fact that I did film production at the university where within that course, part of it, I can't recommend it enough if you do it, whatever, could it, oh, I don't know what the best countries are for it, but essentially, in terms of watching film and things, that first year, they break you the hell down so they can build you back up. It's just quite often emotionally difficult things to watch, quite often films that you're just sitting there going, I do not want to watch this, I do not want to watch this, and... Uh, it's a and it works anyway because that, that me and it, but it's done in a very like post like you'll do a analytical kind of thing about it and it's all broken down for you beforehand and then you watch an example of the thing and then you'll talk about it you go through it in detail. Point being, I I've, in the past I've blamed that for my ability to see the story they're trying to tell rather than the one they're actually telling or the hidden narratives within there. Or the subcontext of what they're saying, and uh, I don't know. Can I? Did I put it actually in the column about what the commentators were saying? Yeah, I did. So my case and point here is during the Murphy Dominic Mysterio match. I'll go back to the beforehand bit with the show the Dams in a second. But during the match, like often commentator tells you the thoughts behind the writers and like what is what are the thoughts behind the action of the story. As in, what is not not what do you think's happening? Not how are you interpreting it? More often than not, if you listen to the commentators, they tell you the story they're actually trying to tell. Because more often than not, they, they, it's wrong and they readjust. And if you listen to the commentary, you take that as your core point of the story, uh, you'll realise the stories they're trying to tell, and it's often quite simple. Uh, Saxton, Byron Saxton, he, sa- he said at the start of the match, yet another way for Seth Rollins to mess with Rey Mysterio's family. So, ah, so you're selling that she's naive and Rollins is bad. So you're going with that route, the 
Because one of my big criticisms of going with this storyline, because not only is it badly timed, but in terms of well, what are you looking to gain from it, what's actually the lesson here or the story, it's either that she is naive, the young girl was naive, and it's her fault for falling for it, or Buddy Murphy's taking his shot with the 19-year-old. Neither of which are reading the room particularly well. So Saxton is selling that it's the she's naive route, which again, she's naive, it's her fault for falling for it. That's again, That second half of the message is bloody important just to kind of take note of. That is the subcontext of the blatant context. Blatant context, Seth Rollins is bad. Subcontext, she's stupid for falling for it. That, that's extremely tone deaf for what this whole speaking out movement has been in terms of uh, just, ref- I won't say refreshing the industry, but cleansing it. That's a better word. Uh, Tom Phillips then afterwards is saying, and we and we don't know the intentions of Murphy, whether they were pure or not. It's like, wow, that doesn't translate well. So Tom Phillips is so in doubt that Murphy might not be being a baddie, as in he might not be doing something on behalf of Seth Rollins because they're baddies. Like, he's just being a creep that doesn't have bad intentions. <laughs> it's their story. It doesn't make... Yes. Uh, also, or it's... It's um, kind of... It's giving reasons for you to try and feel sympathy for him as he, as he, if they want you to get behind him and his motives as he's either... Oh, he's falling in love, though, with a 19-year-old. It's, it, it's, it's specifically the other context around it. Like that's it's not a great time to be telling this specific story. And then Samoa Joe's like, oh, if I were Dom, I'd be kicking Murphy's ass too. You do not mess with another man's sister. So he's fully behind Dom's anger, but specifically because of the relation with his sister, nothing to do with Buddy DMing a teenager. Which is, as soon as this happened as well, um, people making the jokes on Twitter of, oh, we're gonna, uh, someone else's text got released earlier, uh, obviously hinting at Velveteen Dream and... So when there's company, he's being criticised for bringing somebody back for sending DMs of a certain nature to teenagers. Yes, those ones are underage, so it's even worse. But when they're getting criticised for that, then to run an angle where you're outing one of your wrestlers who's being painted slightly more babyface, he's meant to be somebody the fans are meant to get behind, and he's essentially doing that, he's the one who's initiated, and Aaliyah herself says that, well, he came and sat down next to me. I I didn't go to him. Like he came, I don't know what to make of him yet. Like, he, he sat down next to me. And so there's the only way this is redeemable, because, again, what is the story they're telling here? If they go with Buddy falls for, uh, falls for Aaliyah and they become baby faces and they, he does attack Seth Rollins and she gives him his courage, you need time to flesh that out so he... It makes sense and it isn't super creepy just how quickly it happens because uh, that, that creepy feeling won't go away if you don't spend time trying to actually show the characters as people, which they won't bloody do. <laughs> as, I, as I say it, I know. And with Buddy, so that could be what. But my, I guess the only way out of it where it isn't received awfully is if Aaliyah was never naive and she was always on with Buddy and Buddy is being a baddie. And then Aaliyah outsmarts him or ever or never falls for it or 
she tells Dom or somebody, and together they don't because they don't want the intergender stuff. They can have Dom fight for her. well. She can do the slap thing. That's the WWE thing. She can slap Buddy, and that could be the sudden realization of oh, she was never conned. She actually is her father's daughter. And then Dominic hits the other side of the father's daughter with a moonsault or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't flipping know. It's it's extremely tone deaf to his new sort of thing. But for the segment itself that kicked it off with King's Court. And first off, oh lord, the images of Dom staring holes into Jerry Lawler as Mark Henry's theme plays in his head. Like, if you dare, somebody's going to get their ass kicked. And, like, yeah, that with this, they're either playing Aaliyah as naive or Murphy as shooting a shot, neither of which, again, as I said, I'm reading the room, the only way to dance this line is with delicate care, as was trying to paint out earlier. But WWE writes as light-footed as an elephant. Like, once again, they come across as tone deaf in an era where we're still, where they are still getting slack for how badly they've handled the Velveteen Dream situation. Says, uh, uh, Ray runs down what's been happening. That like, he clearly sees what Seth is trying to do in attempting to disrupt his family. Like he's not falling for it at all, not even for a second. Uh, Ali, when she goes to Mike, she makes sure we know she's nineteen years old, and uh, like Murphy's the one who said next to her, like she doesn't know what to think of him. Uh, Seth pops up on screen. And beforehand, we saw him nick Buddy's phone, uh, and like one, he was like, "One of you isn't being honest with the family, yeah? Are you, Aaliyah? Uh, he shows a scream capture of Murphy's phones, and it's DMs between her and Murphy, and uh, he and he's the first one to send the message, which is quite an important note that wasn't really kept, kept, uh, done with because that fits with what Aaliyah's saying. Well, he sat down next to me; he's the one who sent that first message, apologising, which pretty much the same tone. Uh, and again, if you if you're looking at the what is said there in the texts, in the DMs, uh, text I'm old school, <laughs> text old school now, but in the DMs and I guess another question I've seen, but oh, there's nothing untoward about what was said in those DMs. I think did you see any of the speaking out stuff? Like story after story, the first line in it is oh the like the first in like exchanges between ourselves were like fine enough like. He was, he was seeming perfectly friendly, nothing wrong, nothing untoward. Like, Jeremy sounded like trying to help. Which is, like, the exact tone here. First initial things are friendly, perfectly seeming like he's trying to help, but like, he's not like that other bad guy. But, yeah, it's, like, tonally identical to a start of a speaking out story. Which, again, is so tone deaf, because that's not what they're going for. Like, in the slightest, there's no way in hell that this is a narrative on a thing where they're going to paint Aaliyah as a... a, a uh, as a hero standing up for herself as she was as she as I was saying where she does that she's not naive and she does battle down Buddy but that's not the story they're going for here if WWE they may, might even be making it up as they go along and then this thought they fell on this week and next week it'll be dropped a bit who, who bloody knows <laughs> but with so Seth um, says that and the other takeaway from the text was at the end where she said oh happy birthday as well and that was the Final thing. Oh, and a happy birthday too. Oh, your. I think that was the example of they know each. They're chummy enough to know when the other person's birthday is. I think that's the t- note they were going for. I think that was the tone. Uh, just to paint that other, paint that next step of uh, like no, no, they are. Yeah, they're friends. And she walks off, telling Ray that he's not like Seth, and uh, again, he's not like the bad guy. Uh, Buddy's backstage and he's not too happy with Seth doing that. He like, grabs him by the collar even, which is uh, a level of, of viol- I guess, violence. Really low-key violence still, but aggression towards Seth that we, we haven't seen so far. So you can see their tent relationship is continuing to fray. 
And uh, But Dom's already there to charge him down and lay in the fist before Murphy can do anything to the man. And I'm not saying the idea of Rollins using and emotionally damaging Murphy uh, it, to get at Seth Rollins is a bad thing. Like, Murphy, who may be even finding solace in someone innocent, not necessarily a bad thing. But the method they've gone in telling the story, with that, with that DM thing as well, where it's so reminiscent of the, of the DMs we've seen throughout the Speaking Out movement, to do it that way, which is uh, like red flag number one, and <laughs> never mind the 1932-year-old thing, which red flag number two is... I'm not going to name all the red flags. It's so it's quite a few in this one. But it's not great. <laughs> to, put it, to put it bluntly... It really isn't great. Like, no surprise that the match itself was great, though. Because, like, like I, I know, like, this story they're telling was... It's never going to be that complex. But this, like, this story right now... Like, people are on alert with speaking out still fresh. Like, how tone-deaf can you be? Uh, no surprise the match itself was great, though. Uh, Dominic once again stepping up and jumping another bar, this time really able to display the emotion of pure anger. Uh, jumping up Murphy from the bell, hatred in his eyes as he gets caught by the more experienced opponent. Uh, they had a brawl of a match, uh, playing off the emotion of it all. Dom getting launched over the announce table, later laying his stiff shots as he stares holes and tells the Australian he said to stay away from his sister. Murphy gets the win after Dom grabs a kendo stick in his blind rage and Aaliyah comes down to try and stop him, giving the Aussie the room to roll him up. Uh, Dominic rolls out to follow up with those kendo stick shots too, buddy, but Aaliyah's there to halt the chase. Uh, he says to his sister that their father was right and she is naive. He gets a slap for his troubles and off she pops. Mysterio drama. And yeah, that's it's, it sucks about talking about such a negative thing but it's so it's such a big thing that I can't not talk about it and WWE running this angle shows how incredibly tone deaf that it is because again not everybody's taking issue with it but a lot of the kind of arguments they have seen given for why it's not an issue rather than uh, it doesn't just personally hit with me like that which I could understand doesn't mean you don't for, for me you're not harming anyone past that like it's you're not the religious person who is then calling everybody wrong for not converting like you are not converting to your belief and um which is a very strong kind of aura and presumably around America right now with the election right upon you but when you yeah a lot of people going out of their way cause of course it is Twitter you wouldn't even post a tweet if you're one of those people you're just sitting content you'd be fine but with, you'd be boring like me. It's <laughs> just sitting in the content, not being heavily swaying to any directions for things. But the arguments against quite often themselves sound a bit tone deaf or that they've not listened or it was fine back then, therefore, but they've not listened to any of the stories or actually taken in what's being said or I guess con the new context that we are now in. Now, surprisingly enough, over 20 flipping years, a lot of things happen, a lot of things change. One of those things is grooming not being acceptable. Wasn't bloody acceptable back then. But I guess social consciousness about it was different. I won't say... I won't say... You know, I won't say more... I won't, I won't put any like, definition, definite clarifiers on it. I'd say it was different. And it's different now. It's progressive, and by progress I mean it's changed. 
I'm not putting clarifiers saying it's better or it's worse. I'm just saying it's progressed to something different. And to expect it to be the same, it's like, no, you're living in a... a oh, no, <laughs> I'm putting clarifiers on it again. I was trying to be as um, loose with it as possible. Well, this, like the certain thing is there was the speaking out movement that changed so much on how the wrestling industry viewed it. It changed the current just feeling around the place. And then WWE run this angle amidst their own person, their own like contracted employee, not contracted employee, contracted, uh, what are they bloody called? Ah, oh, that's not important. Let's move on. <laughs> independent contractor. And they run this angle. Their own independent contractor has re- returned shortly after genuine allegations that seemed to have quite a bit of weight to them and there was nothing said this went oh we've done our investigations cool like so like so many people have not accepted that and in the middle of that they run this angle it's incredibly tone deaf it's i guess uncomfortable in a way but the for me the additional reason it's uncomfortable because i've the reason i went into as much detail as i did was because they're exploring the different avenues for what well, could they be telling this story could they be telling that where are they going with it the final thing is, it's WWE, and this is a difficult topic. A difficult topic they do not know they're telling a story in to begin with, and maybe this the outcry from it is telling them, make them realise... I don't know if you even get through. Just that, by the way, you do realise you're telling a story in this environment, because the current environment is extremely important for telling a story like this, where... Either again, like in the past, yeah, it would have just been Murphy falls for girl, end of. But we're not in the nineties anymore. You can't do that kind of television. Things have progressed so much. We're doing that is like that's not the reality of what today is to tell that kind of story. Uh, uh, yeah, it's tone deaf. Yes, I've said that phrase too so many times. <laughs> I keep rambling on. Trying to find my like final point so I can leave this bit and go through the show. But yeah, it's it's not great. And I've, I've, I had a final point and I drifted away from it towards the end and just went into a bit of slow motion talk. I was trying to bloody remember what was the last point I was going to make about just all of this. Uh, it was to do with the, yeah, the fact that you're doing it now, of all things, and WWE, my main thing I keep falling back to. Because they could be telling all the different stories. I don't. I always think well, it's WWE that going the most simple. They think they're telling that story of uh, Buddy Murphy is falling for Aaliyah. And that's pretty much it. And he's not being baddie for Seth Rollins. And that can help him turn on Seth Rollins. That's the story. As in, they should have believed Buddy Murphy all along. That's it. It's WWE. It won't be more complicated than that. The On the same level playing field is... Twist, Buddy Murphy was the bad, was a baddie, and uh, turns out, and the, and the lesson is that she shouldn't have been naive, which is the worst one of the two. <laughs> if I'm choosing, <laughs> that one hits worse. They don't hit, neither hit great, but that one hits worse. It's just because they think they're telling a simple story, but because of the climate that they're telling it in, it's it won't be received that way, and that's why it's tone deaf. To be by by tone deaf, I mean completely unaware of the environment you're telling that story, this kind of story in, of the narrative you're accidentally hitting upon, of which you've got no idea you are doing, and the way to kind of redeem it requires 
delicate work to it. You have to be careful with it to balance the line. With WWE storytelling, as I said, they tell their subtlety <laughs> is as light-footed as an elephant, as I said earlier. And they are very ham-fisted with the way that they tell their stories. Uh, I'm saying this, I'm using negative terms, but I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way. Because, again, I've compared, right, WWE's writing before, I've compared it to, like, comic book writing. Of For a certain amount of time, this thing matters. And then once that's done, we move on. There's not really, there's not, well, there is some character continuation, but not a lot. It seems we've got a little bit better with it recently. But it's still there, that the way they write their stories. And they make most of the stuff you're seeing, it's made up as you, they're going along. So they, none of this, it, it's more things laid down for them to then use in the future. It's not things laid down because they've already written the story and then this thing leads to that thing. And that's not how they write. I'm not saying that's negative, that's just not how they write. And in terms of tackling a story which, to be handled right, would have to be handled very carefully... Uh, I'd say they're not capable and that's, that's I, I don't want to say prove me wrong because my thing for it would be just don't tell this story <laughs> just don't do it <laughs> it's not that you're entering dangerous territory that didn't even know they were entering so at least that's better than doing it willfully and and the lesson being well you shouldn't have been naive then to the, all the people coming out and speaking out um, it's not grand and I think that final note it's, just, it's one of those where they're not. it's not blatantly being said, but you look at the lesson behind the story and with the, them calling Aaliyah naive, that's why I'm a bit worried that it's not going to be just uh, old buddy does fall for them, which that's my favourite. That's my, num- not favourite, that's my number one pick for what's going to happen. It's buddies just fall for it and it's the Mysterio family should have believed Aaliyah, not Aaliyah should have believed the Mysterio family. Because uh, the latter is just the lesson... It's not a great lesson. <laughs> Whilst the first lesson, um, it's creepy, but it's not blaming the victims. So there's that. <laughs> Neither are great. Uh, it's like it's a story on behalf of the somebody who's been accused, and this is their POV. They're like I didn't do anything wrong. I, I just I just fell for the person. It's not my fault. Isn't that's kind of what it feels like in a way that's why it feels so off so wrong i've spent the entire show talking about this one thing it is complicated and it's the type of thing where even if i'd written a thousand two thousand words of notes on this it still wouldn't like my thoughts still would not have been totally together on it but i thought if i went in detail on it explained the reasons behind what i'm thinking and the only way to save it is with delicate care and wwe don't write like that or they can't write like that They've not showcased it anyway, so there's no examples of it. So they've entered a territory which needs to be kind of either backed out of with ease or balanced very, very carefully so you don't end up just flat out sending in a complete wrong message or teaching a completely wrong lesson. Uh, but that's, they're, not, they're not capable of doing it. Yeah, or, or just again, to reduce the clarifier to at least they've not shown the capability of doing such a thing or telling such a story uh, it's told all the time in, in media in entertainment, in television like, extremely difficult subjects are constantly tackled uh, so I'm not saying media shouldn't tackle these stories I'm saying WWE specifically with their crappy writing should not tackle these stories <laughs> crappy is a, a, an opinion put in there but uh, it's it's not they they can't balance this sort of thing. 
And the likelihood is they'll swing one way or the other. It's just which one? Uh, or is is it Buddy Murphy's not being a creepy just the person, or she's stupid for being naive? Which the the knock on lessons from that are uh, <laughs> not they're not great. Um, so I guess go with him being a creep, but we're being told he's not being a creep because it's not creepy, even though we're watching it going, it's a bit creepy. So, yeah. Tone deaf is what it is, and I don't know how they get out of it, because <laughs> they're not going to do what I suggested, because that requires delicate care to slowly either flesh out the characters, which, again, not going to do, or just or do that thing where Aaliyah like, steps up and was never being tricked, and, and Buddy Murphy was being evil, but she was never being naive. Just those two things clash in. Uh, Buddy Murphy losers in the end. Except for all his losers, because the Mysterio family outsmart them. That's what I'd bloody do. <laughs> what, what I would bloody do is not run the angle. Just don't do it. I liked the idea at first of, like, really subtly, where Elia touched Buddy Murphy's arm. I thought that was a great touch, because that was subtle, and you can slowly build off of that. But immediately the next week, we get a invisible camera thing where Buddy Murphy is talking to Elia backstage. Then, just flat out, we see it, then this week we get the DMs, as in subtlety died immediately. <laughs> like, technically, it wasn't subtle because the camera like centred on them touching. They 100% made sure you noticed it. It wasn't like bottom of the frame as she stepped up. Like, no, centre frame. <laughs> so it 100% they're focusing on this. We want to make sure you've seen it. Then it pans up and it comes into the angle. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I did not mean to focus on that bit. And... Then the next week it's blatant as a thing, and then this week it's evidence of the blatant of the thing. Yeah. It's tone deaf. And there's so many weird things on this show. <laughs> I'm just realising, I'm going to take you a drink of water, then I'm going to have to blast through this show as quickly as possible, because I've already been going on for over 35 minutes on this really difficult topic. But, just put a nail on it. This is extremely tone deaf to specifically be doing now in specifically the way they're telling it. And all of the things coming together, it's so reminiscent of uh, re, re, just bringing out the feelings that we that we experience as a, I guess, wrestling world throughout the summer, bringing a lot of those feelings back. Uh, and again, the final nail in the coffin today was Joe Ryan with his ridiculous lawsuit, where person after person within the industry, no matter what position, has just been coming out calling him an F-wit. So... Yeah, I've British that up. It was a, they, they were a lot less whimsical with the insult. Right, now it's a party. Let's get to the... I said I'd take a drink of water. Let's bloody do that. No, so I'm just going to say, it's not always easy, and I've talked about this like with people not associated with it, but in doing these shows, there's quite often a, a mental switch that happens where no matter how crappy a day you're having, no matter how out of it you are to like going before this show I was ready for bed completely knackered but as soon as you see that countdown as soon as you connect to the studio it's a mental switch and you you wake up you be lively you do that and if you're not in the right frame of mind it can absolutely drain you but because part of it is it's that emotional just switch which means quite unnaturally you get better and better at going from difficult subject to light-hearted and let's now have a bit of fun so I don't want it to be mistaken that I'm just moving on from the negative thing and now I'm all chirpy and happy. Because I'm not. But I can... I am going to, like, 
shift to go through the show and we'll be laughing, we'll be enjoying it. So it'll be a bit of a tonal shift from the first half going on uh, about that difficult topic and I'm now to talk about it. That's a little, I guess, inside of the mental health side of doing this sort of thing. And over time it can get to you because on a day where you're really not feeling it and then you start doing the show and it's just like, hey, da, 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 and then afterwards, poof, back to her. So it, it can grain you down a little bit. Anyway, let's get on with the show. <laughs> Do that. Yeah, yeah, time to make everybody feel down when I'm speaking all positively. Oh, that, that's some depth in, in-depth writing right there. <laughs> the type of thing you'll never see in WWE. Suddenly, I'm ter- talking all chippy, but, but there's a negative context to it. Mm. Right. <laughs> Didn't mean to get uh, to massively shift it that far. <laughs> it's meant to be a little note, and then I've gone, oh, I've done a whole kind of serious tonal shift to the context of my chirpy my chirpy talking for this bit alright so Drew McIntyre there's a lot to get through let's bloody get on with it so Drew McIntyre has his party with Ric Flair Big Show Christian and Shawn Michaels the legends all there to celebrate with the big Scottish champion as Drew's mic is turned right the hell up so we hear every breath and lizard lip noise every podcast and we'll know what on earth I'm talking about there just <gasps> you can hear it all <laughs> it's I've exaggerated it a tad, but his mic's turned so high up. Uh, he thanks each one, but before he can organise the party for later, Randy Orton pops up on screen, and ah, I see one of my fears actualised. That punt from last night isn't being sold at all because we've got a third match at Helena Cell to hype, even though the match at Night of Champions was absolutely perfect as a no-ender. I even said it on Aftershock, after show ended, that this was the with him getting punted by Drew McIntyre, that was the absolutely perfect narrative end. He get The villain gets his comeuppance and the champion walks away with his title. Drew McIntyre faces somebody else now. And you've got the perfect reset in Survivor Series after Hell in a Cell. So he gets his like one last defence before... And he got the draft coming up as well, so he gets a complete reset. So does he have to enter a feud with Randy Orton? Personally, no. Because you ended it perfectly well. But they possibly didn't mean to do that. And now he's set to face him at Hell in a Cell. So they did a perfect story ender, even though it's continuing. And Randy Orton's pro is essentially going, I know the story's ended, but I'm Randy flipping Orton and we have to do matches of three. So the reason I'm getting a shot is because I'm Randy Orton and just don't ask questions, right? <laughs> so it's, it's something to set up in the past, earlier in the feud. And I guess that coming into fruition is continuity. So that's something else I criticise for. So I guess it's continuity, but that doesn't mean that doesn't negate the feeling of watching this, where I'm just like, yeah, but your story came to a perfect climax last night. So why the hell is it continuing? Because this is how WWE writes the stories. It's the comic book writing. They haven't finished the series yet, so you have to finish the series, no matter if you've actually finished the story <laughs> and everyone has come out of it perfectly. So everyone's had their arc, their climb, their fall their redemption, their retribution, or uh, pardon the pun, and I can't really say retribution anymore. Oh, that's irritating. <laughs> Every time I say it, I'm going to have to say pardon the pun. Oh, just the s- sudden realisation of that. Um, but yeah, that's just a little gripe. All the matches have been great. It's just kind of the best part of the Orton McIntyre thing for me. It, uh, yes, the matches have been fantastic, but the story, the way it's been built, how both characters feel has been has lent to it so much. And now I'm done with it. Mostly because it tied it all up in a neat bow. And this week, this like tonight was nonsense. <laughs> I have no idea 
with Randy Orton. I'll get. To, I'll end the show on that. Actually, no, it makes sense to tie it up in one, doesn't it? Rather than going crazy, do this in the open challenge, then the bit afterwards. Um, but yeah, Randy Orton pops up on screen. There's like, if you if you think that you went through hell with me last night, you have no idea what hell is. And I'm like, man, he's sure saying hell a lot in these promos. Sure, that's not building to anything. A certain match in which within a cuboid structure, hell is contained within. <laughs> so that conveniently can show him hell. Uh, yeah. Yeah, guess where this is going. Uh, nice touch with um, him correcting Drew, saying he doesn't need to beg for another opportunity because he's Randy flipping Orton. I realise it just contradicts myself because it just ran down that, but in my notes, <laughs> I was praising it. So, two sides imp. Uh, the champion, can, champion issues an open challenge to anyone in the back that he's not faced for the WWE Championship. And he's just up for a fight. So he was just a bit pissed off at the words of Randy Orton. And then we get to the open challenge, which was the main event. Uh, who comes out and faces him? It's Mr. Ziggles, uh, Dolph Ziggler, as Drew McIntyre on the mic over his entrance. is like, I thought I said somebody I've not faced. I'm pretty certain I did. Uh, but earlier in the night, Dolph Ziggler was talking to Adam Pearce saying, no, I've got somebody. I've got the perfect person to accept this challenge. And what's up with Adam Pearce? He's like, you better not be giving me, giving me a run here. And, oh dear lord, the continuity, for the second time tonight I'm saying that word in praise, it's Bobby Roo! Uh, don't get ahead of yourself, me, <laughs> uh, that this is a sign that Bobby Roode will actually be used well upon his return. Uh, the draft starts next Friday, and there's a bit of a pattern where with that comes a whole heap of folk receiving short-term bursts before fading away. So, in terms of... Oh, does this mean Bobby Roode's going to be a main event guy now because he returned in a main event match against Drew McIntyre? That's and he had a really good showing in it. Like, is that is that a sign that he's going to be treated seriously now? No, <laughs> he can very likely just disappear. But we'll also say that hell yeah, this is an exciting time. I love draft season. Like, who? Which is why I felt so down and disillusioned with the superstar shakeup thing of the recent era, where it was just so demoralising where they did a draft, then they pulled back from the draft and they gave rules for wild cards and things that didn't really make sense. They'd clearly been made up as they went along and when they then sent them to the audience, they were really confusing. So they then set up the world or the universe rules for how it worked and then immediately broke them the week after. And I was like, ah, oh, that, that broke me that day. So it was great to have quite a long gap between that one last year and this one now in October. Have I missed one? I don't think I have. But yeah, it's positives in a way. Uh, but yeah, it, for me, this is in this initial time where after the draft, you get people with, again, those short bursts, the short-term bursts before either fading away and moving on to something different. And Bobby, and that happens beforehand as well. We've got a new tag team tonight. We've got Bobby Roode returning, like just in time for the draft, for either generally get shifted somewhere and be a major part of the story, or just to get immediately shot down. Which one will it be? At least... He might be on Monday Night Raw and completely away from the vortex that is Baron Corbin. But yeah, for me, this era is stuff happening without much, without always much behind it or definite direction. But I call it like a good way. Like for me, that style of writing isn't always bad. And with the draft, there is a short-term bubble of which you can do stuff like that. And like as soon as it happens, like you want, there's a lot of there and then short-term games that can be had. You can try stuff out. And I'm all f I'm fine with that. Like you don't have to 100% all of the time do planned out long-term stories. If everything's like that, you've got no variety. You can have variety in those kind of stories, but there's nothing wrong with having the short-term stuff as well. Like 
I don't want our truth <laughs> to have a long planned arc. For me, the WWE style of writing fits truth perfectly. Doesn't mean I laugh at it, but I notice it fits. <laughs> the pen fits the paper. Uh, Rude in the match, trying to chop down Drew via the leg. He played it smart, uh, but you do that to McIntyre, and he would just dig deep and power through regardless, which was kind of the story of the match. Him battling through the pain and rising up. The Canadian was able to keep the Big Scott down for a wee while, capitalising after Drew thought he was being smart in manhandling Dolph before he became an issue. But nope, you're doing that. That means you're not focusing on Big Bobby. Uh, after his fight back, Drew was unable to amp up because of his leg and was quickly grounded again via Rude's awesome spinebuster. Not enough praise for that. Coming closest after McIntyre nailed the Future Shock DDT, Tried to follow up with a charging boot, but met Ziggler instead, and then into a glorious DDT. Rude, now the one in anger, charges in for something, gets lifted, uh, uh, turning up being a nothing, because he ends up getting lifted, and Worthy span around before Drew just drops him on his feet, and then rebounds off the ropes of the Claymore. As Saxon put it, McIntyre asked for someone to take their, their shot, and he absorbed that shot. Uh, into the super weird ending. So the reason I blasted through that match, it was a decent match. Jim McIntyre looked great. Bobby Roos returned in a, a decently a big way. Uh, not a, oh my God, this guy's like a mega, going to be pushed as a mega deal. Was that like, no, he's a God, decent showing here, which is better than being Baron Corbin's lackey. But the super weird ending, <laughs> how to even begin? So we cut to Randy Orton disguised as a janitor for reasons. <laughs> Why is he disguised as a janitor? Number, I'll get to that in a second. Let's go through the segment. <laughs> so he pulls down his mask to... Wheel, uh, by the way, he's, he's pretending to be a janitor outside the legend's room. Then he, he pulls down the mask to reveal that he's Randy Orton. As we... Uh, he pulls on the mask to show us that he's Randy Orton. Then we cut inside to a camera... in The camera inside that has been shooting, I guess, Shawn Michaels and that lot... Oh, no, it wasn't. It's like a completely different angle because it was Randy up against the door. Screw that. I'm just trying to think, oh, wait, wait, were they actually quite clever with the invisible camera? No, they weren't because this one was like a close-up of the door corner where the light switch was. <laughs> so that makes no sense. Uh, I mean, the legends would have been sat where that tripod was. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, Randy Orton enters the room and then makes sure everybody sees that he's Randy Orton before turning the lights off. But, but, no, no, before he does the light off, he puts on night vision goggles, <laughs> which my favourite thing was somebody, by the time I'd woken up, people had figured out they were actually wielding goggles and they'd taken off the protector and gone, they're actually night vision. And all of us are like, we've played Splinter Cell growing up, an entire generation <laughs> with night vision goggles within our mainstream. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> you, can't, you can't play off wielding goggles <laughs> as night vision. And... He enters that room with the night vision goggles and the steel chair. He enters the legend's room. They look up and see him. That's He's got the goggles on his forehead, by the way, not over his eyes. That's when he lowers the goggles, turns the light off, and we hear audio samples of like landing strikes, like, poom, poom. Oh, it was a bit more like that, because a bit of a clang to them. And we heard the collapsing bodies just, vroom. Uh, the giveaway is they sound identical. It's the same file. <laughs> not even changed in pitch or anything. Not modulated at all, just the same tune. And he had stuff breaking as well. Uh, the then the lights come back on, and the scuffle has led to all these legends being downed, everything being smashed. 
when Randy Orton puts his disguise back on and re-enters his Hitman cosplay. He leaves and then poses by his janitor's trolley, or whatever you call it, and uh, then just points the officials in the right direction to the room, and that's how we go off air. So, right, so I, he probably would have gotten away with it were it not for the camera crew following around him around and broadcasting every second. Again, did the legends not think it was weird that there was a tripod, like blatantly in their way, focused on the door <laughs> for some reason. That means somebody sh- something's surely going to happen with the door. Uh, I know, it's the invisible camera. It makes makes no sense. <laughs> but also, that, that's really not the thing I should be focusing on here. <laughs> Just the idea of the invisible camera not making any sense why we're seeing it. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's the invisible camera, it's WWE. This is really not the point of topic of concern. <laughs> the questions here, like... Why did Orton need a disguise in the first place? The whole splinter cell thing was so weird. <laughs> he goes in and he puts on night vision goggles. Like, sometimes on WWE, I don't need to do anything. Actually, I reckon I could add this to the video ASAP if I can get to my bloody thing. Open. There we go. This was on the homepage of WWE. Sometimes I don't need to do any Photoshop or make something up. Raw, Randy Orton uses night vision to unleash blural, brutal, blural, god I'm tired, <laughs> will unleash brutal attack on WWE Legends. That was on the homepage. I'm just like, what is this nonsense? <laughs> what is this nonsense? Ah, oh, but I love it. <laughs> I love this nonsense. <laughs> it's crazy. It's n- oh. I guess, again, again, so more questions. Why did he need to dress up as the janitor? Why did he need to do the thing where he turns the light off and hits them? He's the legend killer. That's his current character. Uh, surely he can beat them all up. <laughs> Why would he need to do that? Uh, it's, uh, it, the, the reason for him doing it doesn't really... He, he works there. He goes there. Why does he need a disguise? Uh, I will say that at least one of the pros was before the Hurt Business's match, MVP was uh, being a bit of a dick and, he just, it was, and there's a janitor cleaning up in the background. And MVP throws a bottle of water at him, just telling him to clean it up, or like you've missed the spot. Uh, and as I'm watching it, I'm like, "That's Randy Orton, isn't it?" <laughs> because I've had the fact that he was disguised as a janitor spoiled for me. Somehow, I hadn't seen the night vision goggles. <laughs> Why would you not tell me that bit? <laughs> Twitter. How did I miss that? But he, it's well, <laughs> he's disguised as a janitor for a place that he was works in and would be allowed to get in, so he doesn't need the disguise. He attacks the legends when I bet you bottom dollar next week everybody knows he did it because we know he did it. You can't run a mystery of who did it when we know who did it. <laughs> Again, to be able to do that correctly, you need to weave that narrative nice and delicately and kind of play it off as we are watching characters. Even though there is a term where we, the audience, know more than the people within the story itself, uh, we have more information than them. WWE does not write that well, or that delicately, or carefully. So the reality is, next week, everybody's going to know. Therefore, disguise pointless, turning off the lights to beat them up. We probably could have done that anyway, but that's more of a nitpick. The night vision thing is just weird. <laughs> Did somebody just say, well, how can he see? Would he need night vision goggles or something? And may have laughed and Vince gone, actually, no, do it. It's fantastic. Right, I'm so tired, I'm not even going to attempt a voice. It's just slightly deeper than the normal one. <laughs> I'm going crazy. <laughs> Let's move on, guys. Uh, yeah. This was nonsense. <laughs> it's just, 
Uh, it's seemingly just a little bit overthinking trying to give a reason for him uh, having a second match. And for and for Drew to... Because Randy Orton can say, I'm bloody Randy Orton, but why the hell should Drew care? Because he's beaten him twice. And I guess the, the thinking was, well, what if he attacks Drew's legend friends and therefore he could be really angry next week? But he was in disguise, so you're not meant to know that he did it. So why would Drew be angry when he doesn't know who did it? But you showed us the audience, therefore everybody knows. So what's the point of the disguise? <laughs> so... Uh, uh, I, I don't know. They'll play it off as really smart next week, and that'll be my favourite thing. Mm. Putting... Because i got records of my thoughts that are all there. I can look back and say what I said, and then compare that next week to what WWE say next week. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> anyway, I might need to get Vance back on from outside his edge. Just inject the positivity. I can feel the negative swaying. <laughs> Just uh, kind of nudge me back in the... Slightly chirpier direction. Uh, next up was the Raw Women's Championship. Uh, Vega gets a rematch the next night following a clean loss. Uh, bright side is at least in pissing off Asuka. We've got the logic of that means Asuka is a kind of character that just wants to get to kicking her ass again ASAP. So we, so at least we get the match tonight instead of building another month to it. But Zelina lost clean again and it led pretty nicely into the Andrade Gaza stuff. Which built really well off of what happened at the pay per view with Montez, uh, not Montez, who was someone else in the match, with Angel Garza's injury. Because Montez Ford got poisoned. So, uh, yeah, who ate that goat? It was Montez Ford. <laughs> anyway, uh, watch my uh, Summer Sam Predictions video with wrestling shorts to see what on earth that random quote is. Anyway, uh, the two again showing their more than decent chemistry. Uh, the smaller Zelina really is great at making her opponents look awesome. Fighting back in with smart and devious counters, only for Asuka to eventually kick her in the face. Uh, there was some nice additions to the match prior. Vega seemingly able to dodge a couple of those said kicks and continue working on the arm she started damaging at Clash of Champions. So, ah, nice continuity from one show to the next. Uh, Asuka goes for the same finish as last night. Zelina going for a bridge pin and gets dragged back down to the Asuka lock. But this time the challenger's able to reach the ropes on this occasion, didn't need to say it this time. A false fall that has got me hoping for a kick out. Asuka was arguing with the ref and got caught by the backstabber, and I was genuinely worried. As <laughs> Alina was very, as soon as that happened, it's like, oh, this is a flow, this is a thing where it was any other company's definitely a false fall, but in WWE, oh, shenanigans, then immediate pinfall, they do that a lot. Uh, but Asuka kicks out. Zelina then goes for a flight too far to, with a final message trying to float over the top with a moonsault. But the knees are up and Asuka smoothly transitions into the Asuka lock. Looked awesome. Fantastic. And Vega taps quickly again. A second comfortable victory for the champion with no post-match continuation. So hopefully that's them done then. And after the break we kind of get that confirmed. With Andrade in the ring berating Zelina who's walking up the ramp. And uh, a great promo from the man here. If anything, uh, welcome, because it means the end of those bloody Street Profit matches. <laughs> I can no longer make my gag that they're facing each other for the 27th time. So, yeah. Uh, Andrade calls Zelina... So she, she says that Zelina is nothing without him. She blames, she blames him for everything, but just look at yourself. Like, Asuka beat you twice. You are the weak link. Uh, that is why Garza got hurt last night. He was the one holding the team together. Uh, Andrade was a guy holding the team together. Uh, like, out to prove his words, he offers up his own open challenge, and Keith Lee steps up. 
Also, not selling the punt from last week. <laughs> so I guess that move's lost its sting. Until, plot-wise, it needs to. Uh, and then people will be out for weeks again. A nice quick match between Andrade and Keith Lee. Uh, Lee, in his wrestling singlet, powering Andrade about as the man fights back with those stiff elbows and knees. Perhaps a tad rusty in singles competition. Andrade goes to follow up on the double knees in the corner, but gets hoisted up for the spirit bomb. Lee wins in once again impressive fashion. It wasn't really much more to that. Uh, Andrade gave a great promo, and his strikes were still fantastic against Keith Lee. Just great to see Andrade as a singles guy again. And Keith Lee then dominates and comes across as a beast to be reckoned with. End of segment. It did, it, did it, it did everything it needed to perfectly well. Five stars. <laughs> uh, the Hurt Business's build throughout the night began next. In catering, MVP and Shelting are having a Hurt Business meeting when a random backstage nerd sits at their table and Lashes forces him to leave with a follow-up like, you take my seat, no, you take my plate, and just makes the guy leave his food and leaves. Like, these guys are great. <laughs> Those lads are fantastic bullies and heels, and yeah, can't wait to see more of them. Uh, then we got our truth and as this segment was happening, I was like, do I really have to pay attention to this and write notes for it? Like, But seriously, though, I've watched the G1 Climax show. It's my brother's birthday tomorrow, so I had to get stuff done after the Japanese thing. And then I've had to jump to watching Raw, and I didn't finish really to like 7pm because I was busy doing stuff. So I've had a constant day, and at this point, I'm just like, I'm a little bit tired. And I'm like, why are you making me sit through this? <laughs> why, world, why? Um, it's, it's silly comedy enough. It's just, you know, at that point in time where wrestling-wise... I'm about five hours in. <laughs> uh, this was like halfway through the show as well for the R-Truth match, match especially. But earlier today, R-Truth beat little Jimmy at chess. Cool. A ninja turns up and gives him a letter. Uh, if you are reading this, then you then I was eaten by a shark. At heart, I was a Ronin until I met you. Regards to Zawa. I've missed a bit, but it's, it's <laughs> silly nonsense. R-Truth delivery does sell this. Like, he does crap me up a bit. Uh, the ninja's holding a briefcase, and inside is Tazawa's black belt. But it's a ruse! Tazawa is hiding underneath a table and rolls Truth up for the three, only to get attacked by the ninja afterwards, who's Drew Gulak, who pins him and becomes champion, who then gets walloped by Truth with the briefcase, who then escapes, and our 24-7 title match is set up for tonight, where the rules are suspended. Uh, forgot to say as well that uh, next up was when Seth Rollins nicked Murphy's phone, uh, it was Murphy backstage, Seth walked in, like Seth was out for tonight, because uh, he's got this kind of reveal to do, and King's Court, he was excited for it. Murphy, not so much. Uh, the Messiah was trying to get him to lighten up. Rollins asks, why is he in ring gear, as they don't have a match, and makes Yozzy put on the suit he's bought him. Uh, but the man leaves his phone, and Seth has a wee look-see, the cheeky chappy. And obviously, when uh, Murphy attacks him later, he's not wearing the suit, and then he does have a match. <laughs> so the reason he's wearing gear is because obviously it needed to get ready because on the show he has a match. But here he doesn't know he's got a match because they've not done the angle to set up the match. <laughs> so honestly, it was quite a smart workaround. And <laughs> it's one of the things I didn't put together until I was finishing up my notes. <laughs> it's like, oh, actually, I quite like that that was a very smart, a perfectly fine workaround of well, he's going to have to be in his gear because he's going to have to wrestle a match so how do we then shoot this segment where it makes no sense for him to wear his gear because he doesn't have a match yet <laughs> so yeah it's like, Ron is just calling him an idiot it's like, no get dressed what are you doing don't have a match <laughs> so I like that 
Uh, Natalia and Lana versus Raw's newest tag team. Oh, mystery. I've already spoiled it <laughs> earlier in this show. Uh, Adam Pearce cuts their rant on demanding Nia and Shayna drop the titles short. Instead says they can earn a shot against Raw's newest tag team. It's Mandy Rose. Uh, she's joined by Dana Brooke. I mean, they just split up Rose from a team which where that breakup went down really well and seemed to elevate her, only for her to then be taken off TV and put in another tag team <laughs> on the other show. That, oh, you seem to elevate somebody and then just went, nah. Back she goes. Uh, that said, the women's tag division is so incredibly thin that introducing an act like this could be exactly the kind of thing to save it, especially after the champs are off for two weeks thanks to COVID and the right squad, for me, just aren't quite hitting right. Maybe this could be it. Uh, Lana and Natalia finally get in some offense in one of those in one of these tag matches. They finally do something. Keep Adina down for a wee while. But as soon as Mandy got that hot tag, they were bloody well screwed. An awkward landing on a reverse suplex to Lana. An awkward clothesline from Brooks sending the, and her and Natalia to the outside. But the knee from Rose is great as always. Uh, just rising with four. So one, two, three, and our new team are off with a win. Again. Just a little setup thing, but it was Natalia and Lana's strongest match. So, swings and roundabouts. My thought, his voice is very sore. Mm. I called that fatigue because obviously I was up on Sunday after being up on Thursday, and now I'll be up on Thursday after Tuesday. I was like one day to recover. <laughs> so obviously my throat's taking the hit. Uh, Alistair Black. Oh yeah, for some reason I forgot about this. <laughs> With so much that happened. Like, again, like this would be one of the big talking points, like new theme tune for Alistair Black. I even put a tweet out about it, but I forgot it now. <laughs> but Alistair Black, a new theme, a new look, a new entrance, and he's against Kevin Owens, and the, the wrestling in it was pretty good. But I'm gonna rank. I'm just not gonna remember that when you give me like Splinter Cell Janitor. <laughs> you give me that, I'm not gonna be talking about Alistair Black before it. And of course, controversial thing from earlier. Uh, Alistair Black, a promo from the darkness. He doesn't forget all of the things that Kevin Owens has done, no matter how many of the others do. And yeah. Uh, also, the Legends of Playing Poker and the Street Profits jaunty on in. Nothing else, just reminding us that's a thing for later. And well, the Street Profits were at the show look, even if they don't come out. I mean, I'm fine with that. Street Profits, like the tag team world kind of needs a shake up. And what do the Street Profits do until the draft? Do they have a tag match next week? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Kevin Owens versus Alistair Black. Like, only in WWE would I have zero investment in this feud. Kevin Steen versus Tommy End. Oh, like, oh, nerd me. <laughs> Going ecstatic for this. Um, an interesting new feud. Uh, as a feud, I meant an interesting new theme. A lot less catchy. Like, the tune is all anger, so at least he fits his new character. Like, the entrance as well has had, like, all the cool aura removed. Char charging out as a shouty man shouts lyrics over heavy guitars. Like, the unique satanic aspects stripped away. He's now just a very angry Dutchman. That's his new character, though. I don't... He's bad enough, bad enough that he can figure it out. I reckon he'll figure it out pretty quickly and will be fine with it. But... It's taken away a lot of the cool, unique aura about him and made him a lot more simplified and normal. Uh, I guess that's more marketable to certain places. A uh, decent, great, a decent, too great match here. 
ending in DQ before it can really hit an awesome stride. But uh, but it was strong enough. Like arguably the best encounter so far. But to be fair, they've been slowly building and drip feeding us, seeing them collide in the ring, like rather than full on featuring them. Uh, like if you simply have to build feuds by having the two face over and over and over, then arguably this is a great way to do it. I mean, if you simply must. <laughs> because uh, Black, again, was showing he can go in the ring, taking Owens to the limit for a second time, but his anger completely consumes him and he loses focus in the rage. He's so focused on punching KO that he accidentally hits the ref and gets disqualified. And I like that story. It's continuing where... He is beating Owens. He's having a genuine great run of the match, even if it's some back and throw. Like overall, he was the one laying in the punches into Kevin Owens, who was on the ropes, and that's when he hits the ref. His his rage consumes him, <laughs> but uh, Kevin Owens is the one who gets the win, and I kind of like it. It's something different. Like it's not what I think. We look at the results and go, "Oh, Alistair Black lost again. Oh, he's being buried." Like, oh, but the reason he's losing. Like, he he can't control himself. And, like, the way he marched out to the ring as well was just an angry Dutchman, and the way he lost the match was angry Dutchman. <laughs> like, Kevin Owens is winning because Alistair Black has no self-control. I like that. Uh, anyway, Hurt Business uh, walking to their locker room. Mustafa Ali walks out. The lads obviously raise suspicion. Uh, Apollo and Vicky are there to pull Ali to safety whilst shouting, this ain't over, so we're getting a match there. Our uh, truth versus Kirikazawa and Drew Gulak. A little comedy in the middle of a long show can either be a breath of fresh air or complete non investment. For me, it was the latter tonight. As I said, the additional context was G1 Climax straight into getting stuff prepared for tomorrow, straight into Raw. I was. I was tired <laughs> at this point. The champion fights back and ends up hitting an attitude adjustment, sending one man crashing down onto the other as commentary laughs, remarking on him winning with his childhood hero, John Cena's finisher. I kind of like that gag. <laughs> My childhood hero is John Cena, and he's like seven years older than him. <laughs> something like that. As in, truth is just seven years older than Cena or something. I love the ridiculousness of it. Uh, Charlie Caruso, I think it's the first time I've been on the show, interview with Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. They both respect each other. They know the right squad are next in line, but whoever wins, they're coming for those titles. And their tension is averted as they... It's one of my favourite bits from this show. Their tension is averted as they look to the left, and it's Dominic Mysterio. Isn't they cut in the promo, and then just go, hmm? And look to the left, and the camera pans up, and then we go, oh, what is it? And it's Dominic Mysterio just warming up, not particularly doing anything, <laughs> as the Raw theme hits to promote the next match. Like, that was so weird. <laughs> they did the thing of, oh, what's that? What's happening? Thing happening. And the camera pans with it, just like the quick kind of thing, oh, what is it? Just to kind of, like, emphasise that. And it's, it's Dominic Mysterio. He's just warming up, and this match is next, and the Raw theme hits. Like, unless they're building Dom up as a gaze-grabbing sexy man, this makes no sense. <laughs> Why would they, like, towards an end of the interview, just suddenly have their attention immediately grabbed by a thing happening and all it was was Dominic Mysterio just standing there, not even walking into there. He'd been there, he'd been there before their attention was grabbed. He didn't just jump in <laughs> and then start doing his, like, stretches. Like, no, when we cut to him, he's just standing there doing his stretches. 
he was already there. They just didn't notice him, and they were scared. <laughs> the the kayfabe story that I followed is that they were cutting the interview and didn't notice Dom was there the entire time. And then both in unison noticed he was there, and it made them both jump at the same time because they weren't ready for it. <laughs> they didn't know he was there. Uh, Either that, again, always a gaze-grabbing sexy man. <laughs> so which, which one of those two stories? One makes me laugh more than the other. Uh, number, okay, it's, it's so weird. I can see what they're doing with that. It's where that bloody film production thing comes in. Now, that's the reason I blame it, but it's it's not. It's just a basic ability to <laughs> watch watch stories. They uh, That's my jab at being side news. <laughs> it's, just, it's not predicting if you've got an ability to read foreshadowing. That's not... That's not breaking news. <laughs> anyway, the... What's I going to say? Uh, let's move on to the match. <laughs> I lost my point by having a jab. The Hurt Business versus Apollo Crews. Why don't take jabs? Because it's another... Uh, technically another tangent. <laughs> uh, but the Hurt Business versus Apollo Crews, Ricochet and Mustafa Ali. Such a novel idea. Having Crews in a match against the Hurt, against the Hurt Business. Oh, it's always great to see refreshing pairings. Just fresh new matchups. Uh, Ali and Ricochet and Cruz actually turned up with a strategy, laying into the heels off the bell. But of course, the hurt is brought, and going into the break, the takeaway note is the lights are flickering as the businessmen stand on guard in the ring, having downed the faces. Uh, this match was solid, as they have all been, but I am a bit tired that we can't see any of these lads in different pairings. It's bit like Cruz hasn't faced an opponent outside of these guys since June. Like, it's bloody October in a minute. <laughs> and they haven't... And um, Apollocles hasn't faced somebody that wasn't in the Hurt business since June. That is mental. Uh, just in terms of... the like, when, I say, when I say comic book storytelling, that is exactly what I mean. And like his example, I guess, for bringing in AW or trying to do a different style of storytelling... They would have them face the different teams within like the shared universe of the show, but because they're in a story together in this world, because it's a mid card story act, they only face the that one team because that's the people they're in the story with, and it's been June and it's October. Good God, <laughs> just can you see why there's a bit of a stale feeling of repetition? Because there's no mixing it up. Like you don't have to feature them facing each other every single week for us to remember them in a few together. And, yeah. Anyway, this match was solid. I guess it's the difference between a show that's trying to be wrestling and a show that's trying to be that's purely entertainment. Like, entertainment first. They're not really a wrestling show. Uh, I guess this is... I'm, I'm comparing it to a wrestling show. And that's... WWE just, again... Should we start believing them when they say they're not a wrestling show? <laughs> is it closer to... Oh, I'm going to quote Cornette, which is irritating... But the is it close to what he said about Lucha Underground, where it's more it's more a TV show that happens to have wrestling in it? Whilst I guess AW would be wrestling on television, same with New Japan. Anyway, the pattern I still enjoy played out with the Her Business matches, where you got Bobby Lashley, the big brute, Shelton Benjamin, the extremely competent and surprisingly athletic for his age wrestler. That sounded like a slight. <laughs> I did not mean that to come across. But MVP is entirely beatable. If only it weren't for the other two. Cruz and Ricochet stepped up, meaning that Porter was free for the beating. Ali nailed a spinning DDT and followed up with a 450 splash for the win. And yeah, I like that. Like the Hurt Business are great. 
I can say that again without my voice shaking. The Hurt Business are great. <laughs> Overcompensated. Uh, I'm just ready for all the men to move on to something else. Like, maybe I can hold hope that this sixth man, what, like, be it was a last-minute replacement after Retribution encountered COVID or something like that. Oh, when I say encountered COVID, they've not, they've not got it, but they were with somebody who has tested positive. Therefore, they have to quarantine for two weeks per COVID guidelines. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, I guess to end the show would be the Bianca Belair VTR. No, it's Retribution VTR. <laughs> it links in. Uh, Bianca Belair gets her thing. Like she's the EST uh, this week of Athletic Prowess on the track. Uh, beach three folk at sprinting this week. The last guy at hurdles just to show off. No, I mean, she was genuinely an all-star track athlete before coming to WWE. So, not exactly fair, Bianca. This one's just showing off that <laughs> well, in this profession which you professionally did as a profession you'd be pretty good at it <laughs> uh, so uh, well done Bianca you beat the people who aren't professional sprinters <laughs> uh, yeah but it shows off that she uh, well she calls herself the EST and she shows it off in all these different sports and things like these are all going down really well so far last week it was her in the gym this week's her on the track they're being received pretty well and you can continue these until the draft Let's do another one next week, and maybe with her associated brand well, on the thing, on the coming up with her logos, you have the brand logo come up as well after the draft, so you could build it a little bit longer. But uh, yeah, decently happy with it. Yeah, retribution VTR. This is the final thing to talk about. This show's gone way over long. I aim for an hour nowadays at maximum, and now I'm hour fifteen in. It's because I've rambled on for forty about the difficult subject you know, with the uh, Buddy Murphy earlier stuff. Anyway, retribution VTR. The five folk kind of talk to camera as they show uh, random WWE stuff and then start showing them talking to camera mixed in with their attacks. So a kind of set up and then this is that action. And uh, they say they'll continue to attack every superstar and the so-called universe to destroy the WWE and rebuild it in their image. We are retribution and we can't, we can't be on the show this week so we're not going to be there. <laughs> uh, we'll say the... Technique they've come up to save it, as in the people in Retribution, is to really up their Twitter game and go at it with... Uh, they, they feel like a unique account that are generally enjoyable to follow. That said, the biggest issue for me is, oh, the reason they've got over is have you seen their Twitter game? That means that none of that is on the television. So it's, it's a tough thing I've said before again. Until commentary start talking about it, until you see it with your eyes on the television screen, none of the stuff off of TV is canon or matters or is actually part of the thing. I can't praise WWE for actually doing retribution good when it's kind of the initi it's the initiative of the performers where, again, I pray uh, WWE have put together one hell of a roster. They just don't trust them to do anything and control every single aspect. Uh, apparently it's not as bad, or at least it wasn't before COVID. I don't know what it is now. Because the Thunderdome is extremely controlled. And I don't know if part of that, for example, is a drone shot where you need to bloody know where people are going to then fly a thing round carefully. Uh, so I don't know how controlled and planned it is in the current setup. But, uh, yeah, the, the performers are fantastic. The roster is really great. And there should be more stars than there are. And they've only really started. Like, Roman Reigns finally feels like a megastar. Drew McIntyre finally uh, finally got a babyface champion who's not an idiot and he can get behind them and feels like a big deal. 
Get there, but it's taken until now to do that, and they've they've been paying the price essentially. And they're I guess they're lucky that COVID is hit and have had to kind of just hide away in the performance center and churn out character work and growth for a lot of their characters. They've created some genuine stars in there, and Roman Reigns is like the final guy on the back of that to really benefit on this kind of new style of writing for the main event people. Uh, still an issue of below the main event, but we've seen things like the Hurt Business thrive. And I guess Bailey and Sasha, but they're thought to main event head in a cell, so that's a bigger deal. Uh, anyway, let's move. Let's move on to bed. <laughs> so that was an interesting raw with a lot to talk about. Lots and lots of different opinions from what uh, happened on the show. Uh, again, it was a massive debate when I woke up and just looked at Twitter, and there was a lot of discussion happening. People falling on different sides of it. I guess that's the theme of tonight is discussion and debate. <laughs> is, I guess America, I'm not English. I'm not watching it. <laughs> I'm doing this and I'm going to bed. And I'm expecting the numbers for this won't be great because, <laughs> you know, I'm doing it when the debate's happening. That was smart, wasn't it? <laughs> well, well done me. Let's bloody sign off then. Anyway, I'll be back on Thursday for the NXT review uh, after my one day's rest again. Hopefully I don't drink too much with it being my brother's birthday tomorrow. Might might ask a guest on <laughs> to be just so there's a bit of help anyway i'll be back on thursday for the NXT review and there is not going to be a takeover aftershock uh, again they announced it too short of time for me to definitely be free it happens when you do a short-term announcement for something i'm not going to be definitely free so yeah anyway with that i say thank you for listening thank you for watching thank you for putting up with me <laughs> and what do you think about all of the topics talked about today from the serious to just the super strange and weird <laughs> oh, to the mundane I guess and with that I bid you adieu adios Ten.